Hey guys, this is Robin. I just wanted all of our Chicago area listeners to know that I'm working on a puppet show that opens this weekend. It's called The Paper Hat Game, and it's showing at the Den Theater starting this Friday and going until September 22nd. You can check out thepaperhatgame.com to find out more and buy tickets. I'd love to see you there. Thanks. This is The Definite Article, a show about creativity yesterday, tomorrow, and today. Welcome to The Definite Article. I'm here this week, as always, with Justin Jacoby-Smith over in Washington, D.C. And this week we're joined by Mike Rode. Uh, I assume I'm pronouncing <laughs> pronouncing that correctly. You can um, say Rody. Rody, okay. By, yeah. uh, by Mr. Mike Rody. And we're going to talk with him about, about some of his work, if that's okay. How are you doing, Mike? I'm doing great. It's a beautiful... Uh... Nearly, nearly uh, fall day here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and it's been a beautiful week this week. Cool and and uh, sunny, and we're enjoying the weather. All right, yeah. It, uh, yesterday was like the the first day here in Chicago that I really felt like, huh, I could I could potentially use a jacket out here, and I was really yeah. upset about it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> really wanted to be. Back more, in Texas. more summer, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah so where I, are you I, from in Texas? I, 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 I'm I'm from Houston, uh, okay. and and Justin lived in Austin for a while, so I think we we both kind of oh, miss I it see. sometimes. Okay, yeah, that, that that's kind of the 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 frame of mind that I'm in right now is that here in the swamp of DC, you're still walking around like you just uh, like you just walked out of the shower all day, um, and you can't do anything about it. So I'm 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 praying for some of this jacket weather you guys are talking about. Any day now, it's supposed to happen, but I, I haven't seen any of it yet. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it will, you know. I I want to believe it's I want to believe it's it's gonna come. Maybe I need to. Uh, Mike, forgive me for the obvious pump, and maybe I need I need to I need to play roadie a little bit and follow, follow some of you guys around and see some of this better weather that I keep hearing about. <laughs> <laughs> It's the best. I don't know. We're just getting. We're just getting started. I haven't had enough enough okay. caffeine yet. This is the best I can do so far. Okay, good deal. Well, we won't be crowing about it when it comes January. So yeah, this right, is right. this is true. Uh, okay. Well, I I guess we can we can lead in with a little introduction here. Mike Rohde is a sketch noter. Um, he has done for a lot of a lot of talks and a lot of events. He's written. Uh, I, I guess writing isn't even the word for it. Um, he's done a lot of sketch notes that are kind of a visual note taking that he is a pioneer of, and he released a book on it called the Sketch Note Handbook, and has uh, gotten a lot of followers over the past couple of years. Um, Mike, do you want to talk a little bit about what sketch noting is and what and how you started using it? Yeah, I would love to. Um... I kind of the easy shorthand way of describing sketch noting or sketch notes for me is notes plus. 
So if you think about the way you take notes in a meeting or at a conference or whatever, you're writing stuff down, right? Maybe you use bullet points, maybe you underline things. So there's some things you do to make that text more memorable. What note, what uh, sketch notes are, are taking it to the next level. So if you're a visual person or even if you're not a visual person, that's really who I aimed a lot of the book at are people that think they can't draw, that you've got more visual um, capabilities than you realize you do. So um, by adding drawings and doing lettering and using little icons within your notes, you add uh, texture and you create a richer note that uh, provides more context and more information when you go back to look at them later. But not not only that, sketchnoting sort of pushes people away from... So maybe the better way to tell it is the way I came to sketchnotes to describe this, but basically it has you analyzing in the moment. So instead of taking notes that you'll review later, which you probably never will, um, it, it forces you to be and uh, do analysis while you're taking them and be more deliberate. So here's my story. I, um, I actually did sketch notes in high school and college and I forgot about them. And then when I got into business, when I left college and started working, I really got into computers. And for some reason, uh, when I took handwritten notes, they were just pure text. And I tried to capture everything, almost like a stenographer, a court reporter or something, where I was capturing every word that uh, was being said or as close as I could manage, right, with what my capabilities were. And I got pretty good at it. Uh, the problem was uh, it became not fun after a while. So around 2006, what I was finding was I was taking these uh, very copious notes and giant notebooks. By then, I had switched over to using pencil because, well, of course, if you have a pencil, you can erase mistakes and and, and fix things. So um, it had become a real sort of rigid way of taking notes that wasn't satisfying and uh, felt like work instead of fun. Um, not that notes are necessarily always fun, but, um, you know, it got to the point where I had to do something else. Um, and just like I said, I would take these notes with the assumption that in a magical future time, I would spend hours and pour through my notes and review and, and draw out all this meaning with analysis, which I never did. So they were only really useful in the moment for keeping me engaged. But even that was more stressful than helpful because I was just so intent on capturing everything for later. So um, end of 2006, um, I realized I had to do some kind of a change. I couldn't do notes this way anymore. And I happened to have bought um, a moleskin sketchbook um, at a Barnes & Noble, local Barnes & Noble. It was sitting in my studio. And I, when I bought it, I didn't know what to do with it. I just thought it was a beautiful book. Um, it was the sketch note version or the sketchbook version. So it had the really thick, creamy paper. And I knew I could use it for something. I just didn't know what it was. And so the time came where I had to do something different. So the two most opposite things to a giant book and a pencil felt like a tiny pocket-sized book and a pen. And the reason was if I used a tiny book, it would be impossible for me to take the type of notes that I was before. So I literally couldn't take that much detail, run out of book, right? Um, and then switching from a pencil to a pen um, was almost more a mental switch that told me you need to be more deliberate about what you're capturing in this book that you've got limited pages in, buddy. Um, you can't take the copious notes. You can't lean on um, looking at it later, which you realize you don't do. So that made that led me to a third thing, which was if I'm using a pen, which I have to be deliberate about in a small book, which I can't capture everything in, that means I've got to do this processing up front while I'm hearing it, making decisions about what I think is valuable for later 
and capturing that and being okay with letting a lot of other information go. Um, as I thought about like the conferences I'd been to, if you think about the conferences you've been to, like South by Southwest or what, whatever it is, you come away and you come away with maybe five to 10 really good ideas that you can apply to your life, right? Um, if you wrote down every idea that you heard, you probably would only still be able to apply maybe five or 10, maybe 15 if you're really good. Um, right. And so I just I had this idea like, what, why don't I start pushing that forward a little farther do the analysis up front and try and to try and identify the things that are resonating and capture those things. And don't worry about the rest. Like if I don't capture the other stuff, who cares? This, this is for me. And that really worked. I really enjoyed it. I started sharing it. Uh, people at the event that I first went to in Chicago uh, really liked it. The speakers found it. They liked it. And then the most interesting thing that happened that sort of made me aware that there was something more to this was people who weren't at the event also liked it and they felt like they were sort of at the event even though they were my own personal notes just for me um and that sort of like turned a light bulb on in my head like hey this this is really interesting other people are getting value out of this thing i just did because i was frustrated uh, maybe i should share these more so that's what i did i kept going to conferences and doing sketch notes and the one that sort of uh turned the corner for me was um the seed conference put on by kudal partners the guys that do field notes and uh, 37 Signals, of course, who do uh, Basecamp and they've done rework and they've got remote coming out. Um, they put on a conference about business. So I went and sketch noted that because I was just interested in these topics. And they found them and then they started to promote them on their site. And that led to more people finding them and, and liking them. And um, it just started this movement of doing sketch notes and, and offering them up publicly for other people to enjoy. So uh, that led to being invited to go to conferences for free, which led eventually to being hired by conference organizers to sketch note and then deliver like PDFs and post them up on Twitter and Flickr and stuff as a service to the event organizer as a way to capture that event in a way different than photographs and different than, you know, live blogging or something like that. It had a different, it was more personal um, and it was a little bit more human in that sense. So, um, that's, uh, that's where it ended up as far as the, the work that I did. And that led eventually to illustrating the book, uh, rework because I'd known the 37 signals guys. And that eventually led to me getting an offer from peach pit to write a book about how other people could do this stuff. So that's kind of a long winded description, but, uh, there you go. Well, you, you mentioned Mike that, that, you know, that people started to, to pick up on this thing as you started to do it more and more frequently at different kinds of conferences. And I wonder at what point in, in that sort of, in that sort of timeline, you, did you start Sketchnote Army? Because Sketchnote Army is for folks that haven't had a chance to visit the site. And by the way, before I go any further, this seems like an appropriate moment to mention. Uh, you can find links to all of these things that we are mentioning here in the program at the URL for this episode, uh, which is hustine.net slash TDA slash 6. Uh, and by the way, for past listeners, that is a new URL. It is now T as in Thomas, D as in Daniel, A as in Adam, slash 6. Uh, so that's where you'll see notes to uh, links to everything we're mentioning here in the program, including uh, Sketchnote Army, which is a site that Mike you started back in 2009, um, and uh, it's there's a whole community now that's been built up around uh, around this site that you started. Can you tell people a little bit about what the Sketchnote Army is, what, and why is it? Do you think that this is a process that's so appealing to people? Those are good questions. Um, 
So I started doing the sketch noting, as I mentioned, in around early 2007. My first conference was in Chicago, early 2007. So you can see that I did it for about two years before I, re I started realizing after about two years of sharing this stuff, I noticed other people around the U.S. and around the world were doing sketch notes on their own, either inspired by stuff that I was doing or, you know, like the Internet thing where they found it through somebody else who found it through somebody else and they had no clue where they knew about it, but they felt they resonated with it and they wanted to do it. Um, so right around the end of 2009, I started seeing all these people putting sketch notes up and I didn't know who they were. And it was really interesting. I was like, wow, there's a lot of people doing this thing who don't even know who I am. Um, I need to I need to document this or provide a place because I felt like for the two years I was just sort of getting the thing moving and, and exploring and figuring out how it was going to work and what were the boundaries and what could you do with it. And by two years I realized that there was a community that was forming and it felt like I was spending way too much time just promoting my own stuff. Um, so I'm from the Midwest. We tend to be sort of uh, a little bashful at times, probably more than's good for us. <laughs> Be, be, being from the South, I understand that. Yeah. So I, I started feeling a little bit like, okay, I need to shine the light on somebody else. And I really was um, not only, you know, I'm being a little bit silly there, but uh, seeing that there were all these other people, it seemed like there was an opportunity to show the work of others. And so that's what I think it's the tagline as a showcase for um, for sketch notes around the world. And so the idea was to find other people's work and feature it there so that people that were interested in this movement in this community could kind of see what other people were doing. I felt that was really valuable because I think the most fascinating thing about sketchnotes is how unique and how personal each person's style is, no matter how good of an artist or bad of an artist they are. Um, the way they structure information, the way their mind works, um, and the way they draw is all unique to them. And that was really fascinating to see. So it was exciting to try and capture that and document it as it was happening. So it's been going for a couple of years now and uh, it's a lot of fun. It's fun to send people there and let them just sort of go down the hole and <laughs> find right. all kinds of stuff. So, Sure. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. When you were talking about how you kind of came to sketchnoting, um, I I am far from a, a unified note-taking system for conferences or when it comes to speeches of any kind. But um, I certainly read a lot, and so especially in high school and college, I developed a, like a pretty, uh, pretty thorough system of note taking for, mm. uh, when I was reading and, you know, none of it, none of it was quite as, um, as, as graphic intensive as what you're doing, but it was, it was all like symbol based. Um, and you know, Oh, the star means it relates to this. And uh, Obviously, that comes more in handy when you are actually looking back at the notes. But, right. uh, <laughs> but I, you know, that certainly makes me think that this is, and, and the fact that there is a sketch note army and there are all these people that it appeals to is that there is something kind of universally helpful and appealing about this. Um, I have always thought of myself as kind of a visual learner, even though I am mm -hmm. not, I'm not really visually talented, but... Um, I mean, definitely there are a lot of educational tools, a lot of books that utilize um, heavy illustration and things like that. Um, I, I, the, what is, what is that book? Um, the Way Things Work is, mm -hmm. is very physics-y, but it's a very heavily illustrated physics-y book. Mm -hmm. And um, 
learning tools that involve a lot of visuals have always been really helpful for me. And I'm kind of wondering why, I, I don't know how, you know, how, how deeply you've delved into like the education or psychology um, of, of this kind of stuff, but um, obviously visuals help a lot of people, even, even people who don't think of themselves as visual learners. So I guess, I guess, why do you think it's, it's so universal? It's so helpful to everybody. Yeah. And I never really got to the other question, why, why you think it's attractive. And I think they're both tied together. I think, um, I think part of it is because we're all very visual creatures. I think we sort of don't, we maybe downplay that. Um, we certainly have the capability to process and filter and we're pattern recognizers. Every person is, and some are better than others. So, you know, all the stuff that we're seeing, we're in an advertising saturated culture, more and more design is being, uh, you know, a factor in the apps we use. And, you know, we're, we're having to process information and things. And I think we have built in capabilities for dealing with visual stuff. Um, and I think, um, we actually have more capabilities for generating visual things and we communicate with those images. That's, you know, cavemen or Leonardo da Vinci use those techniques to capture ideas. And I think the reason why, why it's maybe attractive is because it is personal because, um, there is no, uh, you know, one person's notes or one person's drawings look like them. I've heard people tell me when they see my work, they know it's mine right away mm-hmm. because they know my style. And I think I I see other people and I can recognize it as I get to know them. And I think there's something attractive in this computer heavy, you know, we live in a world that's very computer oriented and it's getting more so. I mean, I'm, I'm a user interface, user experience designer by day. So I design the interfaces. And so I see that all happening and I'm very steeped in this visual culture as well. Um, but I think it's all very, um, very mechanical and rigid in some ways. And I don't, I think that's fine. I think there's a reaction to things, uh, where people want to have sort of a, you know, um, a physical connection to things, whether it's drawing with paper on a pen, whether it's an experience like I see conferences are starting to kind of get very popular. Um, and people are thinking about the experiences around those of people actually being in a room together instead of doing a webinar or whatever that might be, you know, a nice leather something because it's got tactile, you know, feel to it. I think all those things become more valuable when everything becomes digitized. So, you know, when someone writes you a thank you letter, uh, that's got a huge value. You're really unlikely to probably throw that away, right? Because it's written to you by a person with their hand and they touched it and you know it's not just an email it's got a little more gravity i think so Hmm. i think all those things tie into it but it's i don't know if i've i haven't read any research that says why that is um i mean i i i think that and this also ties into something you were you were saying initially about about how you moved away from the process of sort of very verbose note taking that you wound up not reading um you know and moved from that into the sketch note process which by the way as far as taking lots of notes that you don't read i i can certainly relate there um i uh i i'm one of the guys that uh, i i switched to field notes notebooks because i was carrying the big moleskin notebooks and filling them up with things i did lists of things i didn't read um but so i so i figured if i switched to something smaller um, you know that maybe I would I would be more inclined to look review it on a regular basis, and I I think that maybe this speaks to part of what you're what you're saying just now because when you 
force yourself into a certain set of constraints. You know, when you when you make uh, certain decisions about about how you're going to be deliberate about something, um, you know, you're going to be bringing a different mindset to the whole process that you're trying to undertake. Um, you know, it's like something Robin said, I think, in one of the very first episodes we did. We talked about how um, how there's there's a change in mindset when you begin to think of yourself as, you know, a writer or an artist or a, uh, um, you know, whatever it, it is that ha- it's this title that has this kind of like talismanic quality to it, right? Like, oh, uh, I don't necessarily want to say that I'm that I'm this great big vaunted thing, but if you choose deliberately to to adopt something that you're not previously doing and you do it mindfully, right? Then, then you're forcing yourself into a certain kind of shift in, in attitude that maybe is going to maybe, and hope hopefully, and it certainly seems like it did in your case, bring about a whole change in approach, you know, that they can bring about a whole new set of results. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think, uh, you know, who we think we are is often who we are. Right. So <laughs> If you believe if you believe that you're something, you can you shape your life around becoming that person. So, whether good or bad, right? The, all the negative things that we can tell ourselves about ourselves work in the other way, right? Where you, oh, you're not good enough. I mean, I faced that um, even writing the book. Like, am I really the person who's qualified to write this book? And is there somebody who's smarter than me about this? And I would have my friends keep telling me, no, nobody else is. Just write it. <laughs> Stop second guessing yourself. So, you know, sure. you can they can. It can short circuit or derail sort of your forward movement, and um, I think yeah, that's that's a really interesting topic that you're on right there. And um, I would say there's um, you had asked before about um, the application of visual, the visual in our world, and uh, there's a friend of mine, Nick Susanas. He's uh, in New York City, and he's he's doing his uh, doctorate in, as a comic book. Um, which is really cool. So if you do a search, I can't remember the title of the comic, but if you do an, a search for Nick Susanis, I think he's N. Susanis. It's a Greek okay. name. We'll see. We can drop it in the uh, drop it in the show notes. Yeah. So check that out. He's got some really interesting stuff that goes off in that direction a little bit. So very cool. Um, yeah. I mean, certainly, I think that there's a, a growing trend of people recognizing how powerful visual tools like this are. <laughs> I was in a bookstore today. I, I very excitedly texted Justin a photo of a graphic novel I stumbled upon, which is uh, a graphic biography of Hunter S. Thompson. Oh, really? Yeah, who, who is certainly um, kind of a favorite of, of both of ours. But, uh, I mean, I've also read Logic Comics, and I've read the, the, um, the graphic novel about Feynman, I don't remember what that one is called, um, but yeah, there's there's becoming. Uh, I think there's a rising trend of people who you know realize the educational power of stuff like that, and and kind of just the connect like the mental connection making power of stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but actually, the question I wanted to ask you was, um, you you kind of talk about especially in the uh, the Alyssa Part article that you have here, the, the visual thinking power tool. Mm-hmm. Um, you talk a lot about how sketchnoting is kind of, um, it's, it's a deliberate process, but at the same time, it's, it's something that, you know, you can't, you can't judge yourself while you're taking down these notes, um, which 
as a writer, I'm certainly somebody who's just kind of getting over the initial self-editing problem where, you know, I can't put a word on paper because I, I uh, have to filter out all the bad stuff before I put a word on paper. Mm. Um, so it sounds very similar to, you know, the kind of the original idea of, of rough drafting. Um, but it seems, you know, visual thinker, as I think myself, um, it seems very easy to intuit what like already existing visual images are, but when it comes to putting down images, it seems a lot more convoluted and like multiple step involving, uh, to, to put down notes in these in a visual way to me, at least, Mm -hmm. um, it seems like kind of inherently there would be, there would be more, um, more thinking steps before putting anything on paper. So how do you, I guess, I guess, how do you rough draft notes in that way? I think um, maybe the first thing as you're doing sketch notes like this is just to be okay with them being maybe not up to what whatever that image of good notes are, like whether that's somebody like me. But I've been doing it for, what, six years, seven years now? So I've had a lot of time to experiment. And, and there's still times when I do it even now where I tend to go into – writing mode and I'll just try and write everything. Wait a minute here. I, I'm supposed to be doing sketch noting here and I'll right. slow myself down a little bit. So I think the first thing is to give yourself a lot of grace. Um, um, the second thing is I preach this a lot in the book and that is ideas, not art. I think art while great and I appreciate and enjoy art. I think it's got baggage that it carries with it. Um, that goes back to like grade school and junior high when, one person was a really good artist, and if you were pretty good but not that good, you know, you sort of you had a choice to make. Either you're going to fight against this person and try and be as good, or you were just going to kind of give up and let them be the famous artist in the school, whatever whatever it was. And I think <laughs> there's lots of pressure and lots of comparison um, that goes on with that kind of art thinking. Um, and that's great in the art world. I mean, they can fight over who's the better artist all they want, but I think for practical purposes, it doesn't serve any purpose especially for someone who's in a meeting and wants to get value out of that meeting. So um, I, one of the big ideas in the book was moving away from art to ideas. We're capturing ideas here. We're taking visual means to capture ideas that help us remember more later. So that if you move into that realm and you don't worry about the quality of the art, um, that's a huge step right there. Um, so that allows you to be, I don't know, make mistakes and to not be perfect and to not worry so much whether it's great art or not. And if that means you never show those notes to anybody else but yourself, then yeah, these are supposed to be personal in the first place. And when you get to a place where you feel more confident, then, you know, you can show that to somebody else. I think I'm going to go back to what you said. You had a whole uh, note-taking system where you used, uh, it's not like icons to represent things. That's actually something that I teach in the book and in the video that I did um, in a very similar way to code, uh, especially meeting notes where actions are being talked about or responsibilities or ideas or, you know, things that you're worried about. Um, you can use different icons like, oh, I don't know, check boxes for tasks, um, mm -hmm. stars. You can use um, little light bulbs for ideas. You can sure. use like the, um, you know, yield sign or the uh, the alert sign for, oh, man, they think I'm going to have that done on Tuesday. I, I got to call John, right, you know. You can mark that with some kind of an icon. And even at that level, you're starting to bring in your visual 
capabilities to document and map out what you're thinking and hearing in your head um, and then use that later to scan through and then do your tasks like put it in your computer email people or whatever it is that you whatever system you use so it can be sort of your inbox in that sense and I think even if you start at that level I tell a lot of people if they're just worried about having too much overhead is just take the notes the way you always do and then just reserve a space maybe uh, a quarter of the page and as you get ideas, just write them up there and then maybe connect them to the text you're writing. Or if you start getting a little bit more adventurous, do like you were doing where in the notes themselves, maybe that's just little icons along the side to help you remember what you were thinking, even if it's silly. In fact, the sillier, the better. And when, when I talked about metaphors in the book, um, the most memorable metaphors that I capture tend to be these kooky nonsense images. They're so memorable. And I know that, um, there were some guys that I ran across that do, uh, they teach people how to prepare for uh, the MCATs, is that right? The uh, medical mm-hmm. test? Right. Yeah, I think that's right. And they, they, they string together goofy, silly visual images that are so kooky that you can't forget them. And that's <laughs> the way they remember. And I think it works the same way when you, if you have a really silly idea, like a billy goat with a, you know, with a cowboy hat or something like that, and that evoke some memory right that if you draw that down even if it's badly drawn you're going to remember that you were thinking about that and then it it releases that memory so it's a way of adding um the other part of your brain because i think there's there's sort of this verbal side that we use a lot but there's also a visual side and i think when we start bringing in the visual side and then mapping it across to the verbal side you start almost triangulating or creating this matrix of of memory that starts tying parts of the brain together and making it work together. I think that's why these notes are maybe so valuable later mm-hmm. for re, you know rebuilding because our memories are like scattered all over our brain. I think and we're rebuilding them on the fly. So anything we can do to help map that out for later um, has value. I was just going to mention that there's a um, there's. I was re- reading recently. There's a guy kind of making the rounds. He he, he does something called the, called bullet journals. I don't know if Mike, maybe you heard of this. Um, or uh, yeah, we're yeah. I thought it was pretty neat, and it's very you know very similar along the lines of you know essentially using a series of icons to to sort of uh, uh, give yourself a mental a mental shortcut um, to understand the meaning of what's, uh, of, of what's involved in that set of words next to that icon. Um, and that it, I, I just, I, I thought, it, I thought it was funny because it's something that, um, I've also, you know, I've also been doing something kind of similar on a regular basis at, at work. And, um, I think it's funny because it's something that I think other people might've stumbled across, you know, kind of a similar idea and it, because it's something very simple and yet to go, to go from that uh, to build to something that connects as many sort of mental dots as the sketch noting process does, um, you know, I think takes recognizing the benefits of something like this icon process that you're talking about, right? Where when you recognize the distinct benefits of doing something like that, and then you think to yourself, okay, so this has some pretty interesting benefits. How can I how can I heighten that? How can I do a, how can I do a better job of of, uh, or how can I improve on the the benefits that this process introduces? And it seems like the sketch note process really t- sort of improves on that because, um, yeah, it certainly seems like in, in an even more effective way than something simple like icons. You know, when you're introducing a much bolder 
uh, visual language to to sort of connect uh, memory matrix. I thought that was a nice phrase. Um, it, it, when you're sort of creating this memory matrix with this with this visual language, you're you're making that process go that much more smoothly. For, it's more more frictionless, I guess, is what I'm getting at. Um, you know, it's much more frictionless for the mind. Um, and I I wonder, do you ever? I I, I read a, a previous interview that you did uh, on the the Peach Pit podcast, um, where the the interviewer she asked you about about creative blocks, and you said that that when you're in the process of doing sketch notes, that the creative blocks aren't as big of a problem for you, that your real biggest challenge when you're sitting down to sketch note is figuring out what not to write down. Um, and I thought that was really interesting because blocks in, in the heat of the moment are, are a real problem for a lot of people doing all kinds of different creative work. You know, I know uh, when I'm facing down a, a deadline, sometimes a deadline can be motivating, but sometimes a deadline can just make me set my teeth on edge and be terrified. Um, you know, and so, so when you're when you're sort of in the heat of the moment, you find yourself facing a different problem. You find yourself facing the problem of what not to write. How, how do you, how do you get around that? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think um, so. The challenge I often face is I've got all these different things that I'm interested in. I've I've become pretty good at um, sort of zeroing in on the things that are interesting to me, and I guess it's all in a way personal because I'm I'm going to capture the things that I feel are valuable to me first uh, because I can identify with that. Um, but you know, one of the one of the solutions that I've found for multiple ideas that are sort of coming at me fast is, I'll start. Let's say I'm let's say I'm in a in a conference and someone's giving a talk and oh, this is a great idea and I start to I start to capture it. I'm maybe I do the lettering and I'm about to start doing the drawing or I've just started the drawing and all of a sudden that speaker just pops out another great idea. Oh, I I can't miss that. I want to capture that. What I've learned to do is to stop what I'm doing there sort of quickly um, estimate how much space do I think I'll need to finish that idea later, right? Because I've, I've started right. working on it. There's enough, like a stake in the ground that I can start from. Hmm. And I'll stop. I'll kind of estimate. Oh, I think, okay, that's gonna, uh, I'm near the bottom of the page. I'll just leave the end of the page open. I'll immediately then go to the top right page because I tend to work linearly. And then I'll start on the top of the page on the next idea while it's still fresh. Hmm. Um, and then either, you know, Speakers sometimes have natural lulls where they sort of go into detail about something like there's times where I feel like I've captured the essence of what I want about this point and they're going into detail. That gives me time to make, maybe go back and continue working on either one or both of those ideas. Or in the worst case, I can go back at the end of the talk while it's still fresh in my memory and then go back in and fill in what I remember about it. And uh, hopefully I've got enough stake in the ground that I can go back and finish uh, but that's one solution for dealing with those. I think it really comes down to making a decision about what you think is important to you and what things you think are valuable that you'll want to have later. Um, and that's sort of my guiding principle. If they're, if I'm presented with three, and typically speakers are not going to throw lots of ideas at you all at one time. They'll tend to maybe do fast bullet points. Um, I know in the, I did a, a sketch noted talk of Tony say of, uh, Zappos, and he was rattling through seven or eight points uh, at South by Southwest, and I got to like point seven, and I totally lost. I couldn't keep up with them, so I just I think I wrote in there I couldn't I couldn't write the rest fast enough, and I just left it, and I kept going. So um, I've got spelling errors that I make at times. If it's somebody's name, you know, where I I'm embarrassing them as well as me, then I'll usually fix that in Photoshop later. 
But um, I, you know, I kind of, I've heard that the Amish actually build in um, errors in their quilts in their work to remind them that they're human and that nothing is perfect. So I've sort of adopted that approach. Like if there's hmm. mistakes or errors, um, I'll just scratch them out or I'll be creative and try and turn it into a piece of the drawing or I'm just less worried about being perfect and and making it a perfect – because it's, it's not going to be perfect. So if I accept that, it actually frees me up a little bit to just be who I am and and you know remember that I'm doing it for myself. So I think those are maybe some good – principles that someone can follow who's trying to do this and i think what you'll find is when you start sketchnoting you really get into the talks and you you find out who's a good speaker and who's not a good speaker that's one something i've definitely learned by doing this you can immediately spot really good speakers because their ideas are really clear they talk in this really uh rich language that you can get images from and draw and they they don't go too fast that you can't keep up with them they have a nice pace They'll present an idea and then fill it out and let it really sort of get some detail. Then they'll move on to the next idea. So you start identifying who the good speakers are and who who are maybe not as good pretty quickly. But I think you get you get sort of into this groove. You know, I don't know if you've been in the zone before and the work you do, but um, I think as you practice this, you can get into a zone and and then you really just sort of cruise with it, and it's a lot of fun when you get done. So I think it's possible. Oh, sure. Um, yeah, I, uh, you know, a little while ago I read um, How to Speak and How to Listen, which uh, is by the same guy who did How to Read a Book. Um, mm. Mm, it wasn't Bloom, wasn't it? Little Bloom? No. Uh, that's just the guy you like. Uh, <laughs> talk, talk about him Adler, Mortimer J. Adler. Sorry oh, about yeah. that. Um, wow, I wrote a paper about him, um, and so he he outlines this like this this very uh, detailed way of taking notes, like a more of an outline uh, outline system that I have certainly tried, and it's one of those where you get so caught up in the method that you kind of forget the matter, mm. um, and. Yeah, certainly thinking that I need to kind of reform my note-taking ways. So uh, I don't know. It's, I should I should uh, maybe maybe look to more visual methods. Is what I'm thinking. Yeah, maybe give it a try. I mean, it certainly can't hurt to give it a try and see how it works for you. And you know, in the in the book, um, I talk a lot about the quality of the art's not important. Even the quantity of the art isn't important. Whether you have just a couple of drawings and you're still doing mostly writing. That's a that's a step, right? You you keep adding as you feel comfortable and as you get more, you know, confident. You can start adding more and, and exploring more, especially for people that don't feel comfortable drawing at all. We provide you know this idea that there's five shapes and you can build pretty much anything in a basic form with them. Uh, we teach how to draw people and faces and how to do lettering and and so it's real basic stuff. But once you go through that you have the basic skills to kind of start capturing stuff. And it's really fascinating. I just came back from a conference uh, here in the Wisconsin Dells called That Conference run by some guys from Microsoft. So it was kind of a a, sort of a techie conference, a lot of techie developer-type people there, which was great. Um, And I gave uh, just a one-hour workshop. I sort of went through the concepts in the book really at a high level. And I'll send you a link for the slide deck if somebody wants to check that out. And it's it's kind of fun because what I do is I teach these same basic ideas of, 
you know, ideas, not art, um, how to draw with the five shapes. We do faces, we draw people, we do lettering, and then I turn them loose on the Steve Jobs uh, 2005 commencement address to Stanford because Steve does a really good job of structuring and um, pacing himself and he talks in these great visual images that I think are easy for new people to this idea to capture in sketch notes. And uh, the most fun for me in all, and every time I've done this is when I go around the room and I have people share their sketch notes with the rest of the people there and they, and I say, okay, I put the camera on their sketch notes and I, and they're up on screen. I say, why don't you go through and just tell us what you remember from Steve's talk by going through your notes. So they, <laughs> start at the top or wherever they start, you know, and they start going through and they remember incredible detail on this, what is it, a 20-minute, 15-minute speech? Um, and they've got it in order and they talk about what, you know, where they sometimes struggled or how they thought through the process. And I'm always amazed at how much detail they they remember from this by using this drawings. And it feels, I can see that they get excited because they're realizing that they've done it too, um, and that's a really exciting feeling is to see it actually being applied within an hour, right? So you, for 35 minutes or something, I'm teaching ideas and, you know, and by 45 minutes, people are doing the stuff and they're excited and I'm excited and uh, it's a lot of fun. So I think well, yeah. um, it's, it's, it's a good feeling. And Mike, can I, can I tell you, I, I actually, I have, I have the book myself and uh, I am, you know, I, I'm, I'm a poetry guy. I am by no means a, uh, I'm by no means a visually, uh, a visually inclined uh, user of the pen. Um, that's not quite the, that's not quite the, the direction that I, I tend to tend to move my pen. But uh, after I, you know, I was I was sort of enamored of some of the sketch notes I'd seen you put up on Flickr and other places, and so I, I, I grabbed a copy of the book and um, and you know just like just like you say, I very quickly started um i started to pick up some of these things and in order to kind of get myself over the the hump of of the sort of fear of sharing these things with people i started uh with something pretty goofy i i was doing uh, i i, I called them weird sentences from conference calls um oh <laughs> so uh, yeah i gotta yeah, see I've these seen this. yeah so it's uh you know i i would just take a uh, uh t- take a sentence completely out of context from a conference call that I was on and try to illustrate it, uh, illustrate it completely decontextualized. Uh, so my, my favorite, I, you know, I only did about a half dozen of these or so, but my, my favorite of the ones that I did was, uh, was it's a goat rodeo in progress. Um, which <laughs> I'm still not, still don't know what that means, but, but I, I like the little, I like the little guy on the, on the goat with the, you know, with, with the saddle that I, that I drew to go with it, you know, and I, I started sharing that stuff with people on Instagram and things like that. And, you know, I still by no means, uh, feel prepared to, to go to the, go to the next, uh, Ted conference and be the official sketch notes guy. But, um, I, uh, but I, I do feel much more comfortable using this method now and the book makes it really, uh, really clear and easy, e- easy to sort of pick up on the principles. And I think if, if folks are, are interested in how this stuff works, you know, they shouldn't let a fear of uh, of not having the sort of tr- traditionally understood uh, visual art talent sort of scare them off. Because this stuff, I think, is really useful in the way that we learn and in how to retain stuff. But it's also really accessible. I think, and it, you know, if if a guy like me can draw a crappy drawing of a guy on a goat and understand it, sort of. Um, I mean, I, I still don't understand what a, what a go rodeo in progress is, but I do understand that that's what that drawing means, and that's the, that's the key. That's what really matters. Good. 
You know, <laughs> earlier earlier Mike said something about uh, you know, draw draw a picture of a goat wearing a cowboy hat and I was thinking, man, I feel like I've seen something like that on Justin's website somewhere. <laughs> I yeah. have no idea. This is not a this is not a setup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we, we did not we, we did not collude in advance. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting that you sort of made the jump to doing something like uh, out of context. It's sort of like an overheard on Twitter, right? Where you're right, exactly. heard something, yeah. you don't know the context or who said it, but um, that you made the jump to applying it in a different way than just a conference or a meeting, right? I guess it was sort of a, a meeting on the phone, but one of the things that um, because the book was so focused on just getting people started, I just started with the thing that I felt like most people would be encountering right away, which are meetings at work and maybe a conference they want to get some more meaning out of. So I really focused on those two things. But the cool thing is, is um, in the last five, six years, I've been experimenting with other ways that this concept or this principle or approach can be applied. And the, the things that I'm really having fun with are travel journals and experiences. Oh. So I guess that all falls under the category of experiences. So, um, Several years ago, my wife and I had our 10th anniversary. We went on an Alaskan cruise together, and I took my little notebook, and I sketchnoted the whole thing. I'll send you the link for it, and you can check it out. And I just, as the days went, you know, I would try and capture as we were on the spot at things, and we had a spot every night on the boat. That we would sit, she would knit, and I would fill out my sketchnote pages and, and detail and write the things we did. And um, on the way back, on the flight, I was writing all the things that I learned after being on, like, don't go, if you're on a cruise ship, you know, don't go to the, to the buffet cause you're going to always eat too much, you know, go and get, <laughs> go get a fancy yeah. dinner because it's nicer and you don't overeat. And so stuff like that, like things that I learned on the trip and I posted it up and I've heard several times from people that were contemplating Alaskan cruises, like, Oh, that was really helpful. I read through those notes and I'm all excited. And <laughs> now I know great. not to go to the buffet. So, I mean, <laughs> one way to, to use this technique, um, I think there's also, an application for ideation. And I'll tell you a story that I heard from a woman who actually wrote an article about sketchnoting. She and her daughter did the book together. Um, her daughter was in fourth grade, I think, last year. And she sent me this story. And she said her daughter was stuck. She had to write a report on the missions of California. That was her topic. And she had no idea where to start or what to talk about. She just had no, she was had like writer's block, like we talked before. Um, and so she said, hey, mom, is it okay if I sketchnote my talk or my, my paper? And her mom said, yeah, sure, go ahead. So from what I understand, I, don't, I haven't seen this yet. I'd love to see it. Um, from what I understand, she got like a piece of paper out. She drew the state of California um, with all her books and the internet and stuff, like marked off the places where the missions were and started writing facts, like when did they start and who was there and what things happened in those places and started like seeing and once she started writing all this information down then she could start seeing it uh seeing patterns and things that she didn't couldn't see when she was just reading books or online or whatever and she had no clue where to start telling this story until she had mapped it all out and could see it visually in a big flat piece of paper and once she got there then suddenly she said oh mom i know how to write it and then she basically use that as a means to an end, almost like a sketch for a concept, you know, that you would use mm -hmm. in a design world as a means to kind of get the stuff out of her. I mean, you could see that as a mind map too, but this case it was drawing, you know, the state and locations and things like that. Um, and then use that to actually write the paper, and it was really helpful for her daughter. And I thought that was a really cool application of the idea 
it doesn't necessarily have to mean capturing someone else's talk. It could capture what's in your head too. Um, and I think those kind of notes can be really valuable because they can be personal. Like if you've got a problem you're trying to figure out, right. it's sort of like having a conversation with yourself, right? You can see what mm -hmm. you're thinking on paper and then, well, I'm really thinking about, I'm really thinking that. Why is that? <laughs> like you can start right. questioning and sort of work your way through the problem. So I think there's lots of applications for this idea, you know, experiences and travel and ideation. So I, it's, it's exciting to see these other ways of using it popping up. And that I thought was, you know, one of the next, just listening to, to you say that, I was thinking about um, about fear, you know, how, how when you don't know where to start, when you're afraid of whether or not you have anything useful to say, you know, when when you're sort of concerned about whether or not you have something meaningful to add to a, to an ongoing conversation, something like this where you can sort of quickly generate ideas, something like this that's flexible and, and open-ended, you know, um, that, that can give you a really strong starting point as well as you know, as well as something that you can return to. It can also give you a really strong jumping off point. It can help you get past this fear. When you mm -hmm. just sit down, you know, I mean, it's like it's like you, you, you push for in the book is just sit down and start, you know, just sit down, get started, get get the get the pen or the pencil moving. If, you know, if the pen's too scary because it's too much commitment, you know, then, <laughs> then get the pencil moving. And um, and once you get ideas generating, you know you, you, the fear can, the fear will will very often melt away because you'll realize maybe that you had more to say than you thought. Yeah, exactly. I think that's that's a great way to describe it is just to get started. And I found that so valuable when I when I'm facing like you said a deadline or some project. You know, I found that if I sit and worry about it, I, it becomes this monumental task that I'm never going to finish because I've got these seventy two things to produce. But if I, if I slow myself down and I think, all right, I'm just going to do this one thing and we'll get as much. That, I mean, the book itself, when I produced it, felt like that. There were days when I wasn't sure if I was going to meet my deadline and were they going to take the money back and like all these things are crossing my mind. And I just thought, yeah. you know what, just just be cool, get as much done as you can until you can't do it anymore and go to bed. Tomorrow we'll get up and do it again. And by breaking it down in these smaller components and just making progress – I surprised myself with the progress I was able to make, and I keep on finding that in projects that when I step back a little bit and just focus on the task at hand and don't worry so much about how much I've got left, that I surprise myself with how much I actually can get done when I just stay focused like that. So, I love, too, you had, you had that post on, on your site recently uh, called Window of Time that, that touches on some of this stuff. You, you talk about the fear that we won't have enough time and, and maybe that the way to deal with it is just to work with the time that you have. Yeah, I think uh, that really struck me. That post had been brewing in me for a little while and I actually sent a really rough version of it to a friend of mine and then uh, came back and looked at it again and refined it a little bit and I felt like um, I was seeing it in my life as I get older and I have kids and I, you know, I've seen a lot of different things that you sort of have this window like you're not going to get it back. What you have spent is gone, and what, you don't know how much you have left. But you got to do something with what you've got and try and do the best you can. And you know, everybody's got situations and problems, and they just have to find a way to deal with those things and get as much done as you can, and try and make a positive impact in the world while you've got the chance. Because this is your one life, right? You got to go for it. Yeah, for sure. Um when you were talking about the uh 
you know, the illustrated travel notes. You know, one thing that everybody always says whenever you're traveling or going to a foreign country or whatever is, oh, you have to write about it because uh, you'll be surprised how, how quickly you forget everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, you know, I, cer- I certainly have done that for a few trips, but um, not, for, not for some others. And there's this artist, Ga- uh, Guy DeLisle, once again, I'm not sure if I'm saying his, mm. his name correctly, but he does a graphic novel for every foreign city he goes to. Oh, wow, that's cool. Uh, yeah, and I, I've only kind of flipped through a few pages of them, but uh, he's got one on Jerusalem and um, all of Burma, and uh, oh, it looks like we lost Justin for a sec. I'm back. I'm back. He's back. He's back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm excited about anything related. To, I mean, sketchnoting is certainly, that's the focus of the book, but I've been a sketcher for my whole career. And, you know, you mentioned the Alista Part article. That was very much focused on more of the sketching for concepting. And I think that's a super valuable tool that lots of people can make use of, whether you're a designer or not, right, to map out ideas and just get things down on paper. Because once it exists, now you, I always say, a sketch is at least something you can argue about, right? Like mm-hmm. the problem with describing in words sometimes is you can describe something and I can think I agree with you and I completely don't agree with you, right? Based right. on what you describe, there's still some interpretation. And when you draw it out, it just adds another layer of, oh, you mean that? You mean that? Like, I don't think that at all, you know? <laughs> and when you would, if you had just described it, you might have, there was a, what's it, it's called illusion of uh, agreement or something like that. Anyway. Um, so I think it just adds another layer of um, detail that we can work with and argue about and get to a good solution. Again, it's an iterative process, and that's sort of hip right now, the Agile methodology. But I think it really works, Agile kind of stuff, mm-hmm. where you take it in little bites and you keep on iterating and improving. That seems like when I do projects that way, which are most of the projects I do, uh, they turn out really well because I think they become richer over time and and they fulfill what i want without all the pressure of having to do it all at once you know well and it, and it seems to me that's that's, that's sort, sort of the, sort of the, the whole the story of the whole process, process isn't it is is you you sit down and you, and you you do it every day and every day you get a little bit better than you were the day before and you know the the, the better you, the better you get and the more you learn about how to use your own tools uh the better your your final product is going to be no matter what it is yeah, and then you start getting ideas like, oh, I could use this for this or that or some other thing, right? And or you can use it in a group setting. Like sketch notes are great for, uh, like two or three people, like trying to solve a problem where you someone is maybe drawing and people go up and add their own comments, and suddenly you've got this rich document that everybody's collaborated on, and you can take a picture of it or whatever. And now that sort of sparks the next level of whatever you're doing. So um, there's a story that uh, actually got a a nice review from a, a physician um, a little while back after the book had launched. And I saw I got in a discussion with him on email and he said that um, he's a pediatrician and he often has parents and kids coming in. And these kids have, you know, sometimes major stuff like he mentioned, um, like a bowel obstruction. Like how do you explain to a kid that you got a bowel obstruction and what does that mean? And mm. you can talk words like forever and a lot of kids don't understand that they can't envision it they don't know what you're talking about so he has whiteboards and he draws um he draws the conditions and he talks about what the issue is and how it works and then how they're going to solve it 
um, hmm. all using a whiteboard. And he said, actually, it's really helpful for the parents because often they don't understand what's going on either. I mean, sure. we're not physicians, so how would we know this kind of stuff? And so he ex- he uses that as a as a tool. And he said he was really excited about the book and was sharing it with other physicians as a way to encourage them to do similar things for their patients. So um, I know attorneys, I've got an attorney friend that uses it to prepare his um trying to remember his briefs so he does a brief before a judge sometimes and he uses it to think through his process um so there's there's i just love hearing about all these different ways people are using it and making it a tool for their you know advancement of their career or just to help them remember that's really cool that's where i really want to be it's not so much about oh you got to use this pen or this notepad or this paper you know these certain ways it's like here's a bunch of tools i think they can help you Take them and find the things that work for you, throw away the things that don't, and then hopefully that improves your life. That's really sort of at the core of what I aim to do with the book, and hopefully it's, it seems like it's doing that, and I hope it is. Yeah, I certainly think so. I, looking at Sketchnote Army, it looks like a lot of people are uh, taking your example and running with it. Well, Mike, thanks thanks so much for 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 joining us on on the program this evening. It was it was a real pleasure to to have have you on talking about this stuff. Well, thanks for having me, guys. It's been a lot of fun. And just just so that uh, folks remember, uh, Mike is, in addition to the author of the Sketchnote Handbook, also the illustrator of uh, books out of uh, out of Thirty Seven Signals, which is uh, uh, Robin. They're down in your home base. They're in Chicago. They are. Uh, and they uh, they put out rework, uh, which Mike illustrated, and also the the new one, re- remote re- remote. I, I'm not sure. How you, I guess it's from coming out in October. Okay, so that's that's upcoming still. Mm-hmm. And okay. uh, Chris Gillibo's got a great book called The $100 Startup about starting businesses with a little money and bootstrapping it. Ah, yeah, I've heard of so that I one. did that one. So that one as well. And uh, Little Book of Talent by Dan Coyle. He's a guy that writes about how talent is built. It's, you know, a lot of people have the idea that talent is some kind of magical thing that you're that you're born with. And he sort of challenges that idea and says you can, you can build talent um, with certain ways of approaching your practice and so that's a really good book too. It's the Talent Code is the book, and the Little Book of Talent is sort of the reference. I did a bunch of little icons for that. So, yeah, it's well, fun. I think I think I've learned a lot today, Mike. I've learned not to go to the buffet. I've learned <laughs> uh, Am- Amish quilts are full of mistakes. Um, and <laughs> what else do I have written down here? Uh, don't 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 be afraid to make mistakes, and I'll try not to spend too much time in the shed. There you go. <laughs> that's good. Thanks a lot, guys. I just drew a bunch of pictures. (laughs) Well, you can find uh, Mike Rohde and his other work at rohdesign.com. That's R-O-H-design.com. He's got his book and all the other stuff he's working on there. You should check it out. And you can see Sketchnote Army at sketchnotearmy.com. That's Mike and all of his uh, sketchnoting buddies who put all their work up on the interweb for us all to see. And a lot of it is pretty good looking stuff. Alright, thanks so much, Mike. Thanks, guys. And Robin, I'll see you next week. Alright.